pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. And Lord, again, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you through really just the simple reading of your word. Lord, we pray that it would plow up whatever needs to be plowed up. It would uh, cultivate whatever needs to be cultivated and that our hearts would be uh, that good, rich soil that would, um, that would bear fruit and that fruit would um, give honor to you. And so, Lord, please do all that work. We know that only you can do that work in our hearts, and so we ask that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 1. So the way we do this is we go through, uh, going through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Genesis to Revelation. I've <clears throat> been doing that for a couple of years. And um, uh, we do sort of an Old Testament piece and then a New Testament piece, and we're kind of marching back and forth. And so last week we finished Joel, and this week we start Hebrews. We'll do Hebrews, and then we'll go to Amos. Now if we go to Amos, we'll go to James. And then you know the rest. All right. Everybody there? Hebrews chapter 1. A little background. It's kind of an old, worn-out joke, but you want to guess who the book of Hebrews is written to? Hebrews. What do you say? Coffee drinkers. Can you believe that? You know, big churches have bouncers for the guys like that. And have you ever noticed? I noticed this in school. Have you ever noticed that every room has one of those guys? And where does he always sit? In the front row. Every time. Every time. So we put up with it. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we put up with it. We, we actually embrace it, so that's okay. Um, because truthfully, if you hear him say Hebrews, like coffee drinkers, then what does that do to my jokes? Makes them better. <laughs> Makes them better. So sometimes they need a little help, and so I appreciate uh, the helpers. All right. Seriously, the book of Hebrews is written to Jew, or, uh, Jewish by heritage people in the first century who've become Christians. Now, like all of the scripture, we have to, it's, it's, it's important that we can, as much as we can, keep in mind that we live in America in the 21st century, and the, the recipients of these letters didn't. And so we have to sort of, in order to kind of really capture the, uh, the nuances, if you will, of the scripture, particularly these letters, we have to kind of get our head around the, the, the setting that they were living in. And you've got to keep in mind, the first century, Christianity is a new thing, okay? Judaism is an old thing. The Jewish nation has been around since the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but, um, or Jacob's descendants, but you know what I mean. But Christianity is a new thing. And the reality is there are two kinds of Christians in the first century, 
those that had Jewish blood, if you will, and heard the gospel through Jesus, accepted that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and that he you know, lived a sinless life, he died on a cross to pay the price for our sins, rose from the dead to the living to overcome uh, death, and they accepted him and they were called Christians, right? But they had a lot of sort of Jewish um, heritage, okay? And there were those folks, and then there were the Gentile Christians. The Gentile Christians, by and large, were pagan, heathen, sinful, not the least bit religious. They hear the message of Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and they're like, whoa, uh, the fact that I'm a sinner is pretty much a no-brainer. And, uh, and they repented of their sins, and they became Christians. And so you have sort of these two uh, flavors, if you will, you know, you might even say they're the first two denominations if, you know, it wasn't that formal yet. Uh, they weren't as sophisticated in their uh, attacks on each other as we are. They just, they just did it. We do it through more polite labels. But anyway, um, they, the Jewish Christians particularly, had this incredible, because of their heritage, they had this incredible pressure You've got to keep in mind also family dynamics in that culture were tight and tight for generations, much tighter than our culture. And, um, but if you were a Jewish person who accepted Jesus as the Messiah, you got a lot of heat from your family and your friends and really everybody that you know, the, your, your social circle, the whole bit, right? And so... Sometimes they might accept that you've gone off the rails on this Jesus thing, but they still want you to sort of do the Jewish stuff. Does that make sense? And so they're, still, they're always trying to like, yeah, that's good for you, but, you know, let's do our Jewish stuff. You know, make sure you're circumcised. Make sure all your, all your baby boys are circumcised. And make sure you adhere to the Sabbath. And make sure you do this, and make sure you do that, and make sure you do this, and all these Jewish things, and, and you know, make sure you uh, don't eat pork, and make sure you adhere to all the Jewish stuff. You can still call yourself Christian, but really, because Jesus was a Jew, really, if you're going to be a good Christian, their culture would say, you've got to really do that Jesus thing and all of this other stuff. Now again, like I dogged on denominations, denominationalism we'll say, um, do we do that kind of thing? Do we ever say, you know, you got to follow Jesus and be in church every Sunday on time? Oh, now you got me. Right? Or do we say, you know, you've got to be a Christian, do that Jesus thing, receive Jesus as your Savior, and do this. And there's a lot of ands in the body of Christ even today, right? I would say uh, what I love, one guy said that I've kind of stuck, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then do whatever comes naturally, right? And I don't need to give you a list, right? Because it, it may be different for each of us right? And so that's really following the Lord. 
You, you love the Lord, you love Jesus, you appreciate him, you recognize where you'd be without him, and then you do what should logically follow. And I shouldn't need to give you a list. And so that's kind of how that rolls. But the, Jew, the Hebrew Christians uh, were under tremendous pressure. So the writer of the Hebrews is writing this letter to Hebrew Christians to tell them basically this message. And we've gotten a, uh, a bit of this on, on Wednesday nights, if you've been here on Wednesday nights. Um, if you, okay, if you've been here on Wednesday nights, how about a little listening quiz? Is that fair? Like, are you serious? Is it, bring it on. Who said that? My wife. Wednesday teacher's mother. You know, there's only one thing worse than the teacher's wife, and that's the teacher's mother. Uh, so anyway, uh, what word, if we could like nail the book of Hebrews with one word, what would it be? Jesus is better. Better. Okay, better. That was three words. One phrase. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than all that Old Testament stuff. Is there anything wrong with that Old Testament stuff? Not at all. Just that Jesus is better. And so the word better, I think, is written uh, 13 times in this book. And so the whole message of this book of Hebrews is Jesus is better than all that other stuff doesn't say there's anything wrong with that other stuff, just says that Jesus is better than other stuff. Is there anything wrong with church attendance? Is there anything wrong with punctuality on church attendance? Is there anything wrong with giving your money to the Lord? No. Is there anything wrong with whatever it is, all that list of stuff that uh, religious people say we ought to do? Is there anything wrong with any of that stuff? Not necessarily. Yeah, we could. Not necessarily. But Jesus is better. And that's the point of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. And it's good that we overview that kind of as a summary statement because, frankly, this book is a little bit complicated, okay? And so we're going to work through it a little bit, okay? But that's, that's the basic gist of it. And he starts out uh, really um, kind of full steam ahead on that concept. Now let me make one other comment. Uh, this is talked about all the time when we talk about the book of Hebrews. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? We don't know. Actually, the guy who wrote the book of Hebrews writes also a lot of poetry. His name's Anonymous, Right? And so uh, Hebrews is written by that poet Anonymous, right? And I say this because, you know, I, I, went, I, I, I won't say I suffered through, but I worked through a lot of, like, listening to different pastors talk about the book of Hebrews. And at the beginning, here's what they, they always say, well, the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Hebrews. And we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but there are some theories. Maybe it was Paul, maybe it was Luke, maybe it was Apollos, maybe it was uh, Priscilla, uh, heard that one this week. Maybe it was, you know, uh, any of a number of other people. And they go through all of the reasons why it could have been this person, and then it could have been this person, and then it could have been this person, and then it could have been this person. You know who wrote the book of Hebrews? We don't know. Did God want us to really know who wrote the book of Hebrews? Apparently not. If God wanted us to know, you know what it would have said? Would have said, would have identified the author of Hebrews. And so I think it, it really, to me at least, it brings a point that sometimes the Bible is silent. Now, sometimes the Bible we think might be silent, like a concept is there or something like that. But when the Bible is clearly silent, we should let the Bible be clearly silent, right? And so we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, and so we're not going to speculate on it. If you want to dive deep into that, you, can, you got an internet. So, um, 
How does all this sort of Hebrew Christianity thing apply to us today? We got to recognize as best we can that Jesus is better than anything we think is good. Anything within what we consider Christianity to be good, Jesus is better. Now we also keep in mind the the Trinity. Okay? We believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that God is three persons, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. No one is any more or less God than than the other. And we with human brains can't fully understand because they're one and yet they're three persons and we just have to accept that. If we can accept that, then we need to keep in mind this. Any uh, ideology or doctrine or thought process that reduces any one of those three persons is seriously an error. Okay, now for example, uh, there are cult groups, we'd call them cult groups, that uh, would say Jesus was like a great savior, but he wasn't God. Okay, uh, there's some that's, I think he's the brother of Michael, the angel, or he's brother of Lucifer. He's, he was kind of an angel, but, you know, came to earth and, you know, and you get pretty weird pretty quick about who Jesus is. Now, part of that, understandably, is because I just said we can't, in our human brains, fully understand the Trinity. But we have to receive it and accept it, okay? When we call God the Father, the man upstairs, I think we're just as guilty, right? If we call him the man upstairs, right, lightning should strike. And the reality is uh, God is to be worshipped. And God is to be identified, again, as, as best as we can with our brains. God should be revered and respected to the extent that he deserves. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we will stand on that forever, right? And so anything that reduces God even in our minds, he's not the man upstairs, he's not a genie lamp. He is the God of all creation who's described very extensively in the Bible, and he manifests as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Fair enough? So specifically... The Hebrew Christians were having a hard time with this Jesus and everything else uh, idea. And so that's really the intent of this book. Okay? Everybody ready? Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And so the writer starts by declaring God at this point. God is the first word in the book, and I like that. That's the starting point. Now, at various times, in various ways, he spoke through the prophets, okay? Prophets, were, in the Old Testament, right, God seemed to speak through prophets. Now, God can speak really any way he wants. But in the Old Testament, it seemed like he spoke, you know, primarily through the prophets, and now in these last days, i.e. in the days since Jesus, what we would call the New Testament days, we would call, the Bible calls the last days, right? So we're in the last days. We've been in the last days for a couple thousand years, okay? But uh, in these days, God speaks through his son. Now, 
Interestingly, again, I don't want to split hairs necessarily, but if you look in your Bible and it says that word, his son, you'll see that his is italicized, right? Everybody see that? It means it's not in the original, that word his is not in the original language. The translators kind of added that to help us out. And so in a sense, it says, you know, God spoken past by his prophets. Now in these last days, he's spoken to us by son. It's kind of like, that's how he has manifested. He, he has manifested by himself. Like, now he speaks son, right? In our family, we sometimes will say, you know, uh, speak man to me, right? Like, if, if you're talking to one of the females in our home, right, and you say, do you want eggs this morning? And you might get an answer that goes something like this. Well, I don't know. You know, I've kind of it is morning. That's usually a good time to eat breakfast. And, and, and you know, and, and I don't know, I'm kind of can't decide. And, you know, and they're kind of, I don't know, maybe, sure. Right? That's not speaking man. Right? <laughs> right? Man is, yes. And sometimes I'll even in my, um, because I speak man, with a little flair of sensitive woman, um, kind of as a, as a sort of a subplot, but I, I primarily speak man, right? And so sometimes I'll get an answer, and I'm trying to, you know, mentally track the answer, and I'll be like, you mean yes? And she'll say, yeah, okay, good. That's man, right? So God now speaks in, the new, in this New Testament time, God speaks son. God speaks Jesus, Right? And I like what uh, David Guzik said, said this. He says, It isn't so much that he brought a message from the Father, being Jesus. He is the message from the Father. Right? Jesus is the message from the Father. It also says that Jesus is the heir of all things. Uh, over in Colossians, um, you can turn there if you want, you don't have to. Um, chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says this about Jesus. Listen to this. Again, these are, this is written to people that think, yeah, Jesus is all right, but you've got to help him out by adhering to all this Old Testament stuff, right? And here's what uh, Paul says in the book of Colossians. He is the image, he being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and, on, and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Right? And so Jesus is the the creator he is he's the one by whom and for thing every, by whom and, and for whom everything has been made uh he is the heir of all things uh through whom he also made the world and so now god has revealed himself through jesus and so what do we see in these first two verses jesus is better than the old testament prophets right because in the old testament time god spoke through prophets now god is speaking Jesus. God has not only spoken through the prophets, God now manifests. Is there anything wrong with the prophets? No, but we have Jesus, and Jesus is better. And so the whole theme, again, we're going to kind of carry this through, really for the next however long we go, we're going to carry this through that Jesus is better. And, and he's going to demonstrate to us why. Why? 
because he's the creator of all things. He's the, the heir of all things. And it says, who, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so um, what we have here is Jesus is the brightness of his glory, God the Father. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. It says that he's the express image. That is, he's the, he's the physical manifestation. Notice it says here that he holds all things together by the word of his power. Verse 3. He holds all things together by the word of his power. And notice this. I want you to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of try to hone in on a few things as we talk through this this morning. In verse 3, it says, And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had, what's that next word? By himself purged our sins. You see this? Again, in the, in the context of what we're talking about to uh, Jewish Christians that think that Jesus might need my help. He might need my good works to accomplish the work of salvation in my life. It says that Jesus, by himself, purged our sins, like completely removed them, right? It's the same root word that we see in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to uh, forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to purify us, to purge us from all unrighteousness. You think about that for a second. If we confess our sins, Jesus forgives us not only of that sin that we confessed, but of all unrighteousness. Everything that's, that's wrong with us, and there's plenty, God has removed that. Here in Hebrews it says that he did that. He purged our sins by himself. He does not need my help, thank God, to accomplish the work of salvation in my life. He does not need my help. He does not need your help. He did it by himself. And now, as a result of having done that work, when he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished, right? The work of salvation was completed. He said, it is finished. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so it's a big deal that he's sitting down, right? He's not pacing. He's not fretting. He's not worried if everything's going to work out all right. He's not sweating whether or not his prophetic plan will actually play out in history. He's sitting, right? And he's concerned about us. So it's not like he's just totally chilled, right, kicking back. He's he's, he, he understands us. He has compassion for us. He knows the number of hairs on our head, but He's not fretting, and he's not pacing. He's sitting. I think that's relevant. So verse 4, he goes on, having become so much better than the angels. So we've said, first of all, that he's better than the prophets. And now we move into a section, really, for the rest of uh, the chapter here. Having become so much better than the angels, he has, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And so what we're going to see here is this, this section now is going to lay the groundwork for the fact that Jesus is not only better than the prophets, he's better than the angels. Again, keep in mind the cultural context. We really, in our minds, we think of angels as like 
something that we're maybe a little bit intrigued with, but angels don't really define our religious identity. Does that make sense? Like we might be aware that, yeah, there's angels and there's, you know, there's, there's good angels and there's fallen angels. We call them demons and there's spiritual warfare. But, you know, honestly, probably doesn't raise our consciousness as much as maybe it should. But to the Jewish mindset, again, keep your head around that. The angels were a big deal. The prophets were a big deal. The angels were a big deal. And even as, we, as, as I mentioned earlier, some, some um, groups that we would refer to as cult, cult, cultish thinking, they equate Jesus with angels. So it's, it's very important that we lay to rest that Jesus is better than the angels. Is that fair? So we're going to lay that to rest. Okay? So it says here, he goes on, verse 5, For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, I want you to notice this as we read through these. It's going to be a little bit of work, all right? Everybody okay for a little work? All right. Well, we'll do it anyway. So, so for to which of the angels did he ever say? Are we talking about he, God the Father, or God the Son? I think we're talking about God the Father. To which of the angels did God the Father ever say, you are my son? Because son here, we're talking about the son, Jesus. Today I've begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, that's God the Father, and he shall be to me a son. And so this is going to play out here in a minute. Uh, You'll understand why I'm making a big deal about this. Okay, um, so the first reference is from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. The second one is 2 Samuel chapter 7, 14. And both of these uh, refer to Jesus as the Son of God. Is that fair enough? And so we might say, so the writer here is going to say, Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is, is superior to the angels. Actually, infinitely superior to the angels just like he's infinitely superior to humans. But he's infinitely superior to the angels. For example, to which of the angels did God ever say, hey, by the way, you're my son? Right? Or I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Right? Now, the people will say sometimes that word, like, today I've begotten you, right? Like, I've begotten you, like a father begets a child in a human sense, right? And because maybe the father came first, the, the son came later, that like begotten means to be born, right? And we know that from Colossians, what I read earlier, he's the firstborn over all creation. Does that mean like he's born and God the Father existed before Jesus? And therefore, because he came before, then like he's better than Jesus? No. Firstborn, first of all, means uh, like set apart. Begotten means set apart, right? Um, Abraham and Isaac, right? Uh, G God told Abraham, hey, I want you to take Isaac, your only son, your, basically your only begotten son, and go sacrifice him. Was Isaac Abraham's only son at that time? No, he had Ishmael. So he wasn't his only begotten son, right? So the word begotten means set apart, like preeminent, Right? And so this word, don't be tripped up by this word begotten or the idea of father-son. Again, we're thinking in human concept, con concepts, right? But the father, God, 
is talking about Jesus being his son. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 18 says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, that is Jesus, because he not only broke the Sabbath, you know, remember they were tore up over Jesus breaking the Sabbath in their minds, but also that he said that God was his father, catch this, making himself equal with God. John 5, verse 18. Right? In the Jewish world, if you said, I'm the son of God, then you are making yourself equal with God. Okay? We think of like a father-son as maybe a, a first and a second or a superior and an inferior in, in a sort of a way, right? Not that our children are inferior to us, but you know what I mean. And so really he's saying Jesus is better than the angels because God the Father has never identified any angel as his son. Okay? But, verse 6, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Okay? So he's now saying, let the angels of God worship him. This comes from Psalm 104. Uh, I want to read this for a second. Just catch this, catch this context of what we're reading about Jesus. Psalm 104, verses 1 through 4. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God. You are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as with a garment who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds of his chariot, who walks on the, on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. And so what he's saying is the angels are servants of God. Jesus is not a servant of God. Jesus is God. And of the angels, verse 7, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers flames of fire? So again, the angels are, the angels are servants of God. Verse 8, look at this. But to the Son, he says, now pause there. Which one is God the Father? He or Son? To the Son, but to the Son, he says. Son is Jesus. He is God the Father. Everybody got that? All right. I told you this a little bit of work, right? I'm admitting that. So he says, hey, which of the angels did I ever say, hey, you're my son? And which of the angels said, did I ever say, hey, the angels serve you? None of them. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Can I tell you this? If anybody ever comes to your front door knocking on your door and wants to tell you about the Lord, okay, and giving you, like, their material, right, that's not necessarily the Bible, or not necessarily a good translation of the Bible. Can I tell you, this is probably the best verse in the, in the entire Bible to read to them. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Because in this verse, God the Father refers to God the Son as God. If you're going to mess with the deity of Jesus Christ, you've got to read chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But to the Son, Jesus 
he, God, says this. Your throne, hey Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Hey Jesus, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Hey Jesus, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, Jesus, with the oil of gladness more than your companions. God the Father is identifying Jesus as God. And, verse 10, you, Lord, God the Father identifies Jesus as Lord. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And so he identifies him as, as God. He identifies him now as Lord. They will perish, but you remain. And they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. And so, he goes on to say that Jesus will remain even after the duration of the heavens and the earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So somehow the first heaven and the first earth are going to be passed away, right? But Jesus is going to live beyond that. Why? Because he's eternal. Why? Because he's God. But to which of the, and back to sort of the uh, rhetorical questions, but to which of the angels has he ever said, hey, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits? Aren't the angels ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? So you see this? Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1, is better than the angels, or the prophets. God in times past spoke through prophets. Now God speaks through the manifestation of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. You want to know about God? Know the character of Jesus, right? You want to know what God would say in this situation? Look at what Jesus might say in that situation, right? And so God now has manifested himself through Jesus, right? So Jesus is better than the prophets. That would tweak the Old Testament Jewish mindset a bit. Jesus is also better than the angels. Jesus is fully God. God the Father identifies Jesus as fully God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, of the triune God. Fair enough? Yeah. So, you say, now if you're honest, and you're all honest, if you're honest, you'll say, that was a fun theological exercise, but what does that, how does that apply to me? Raise your hand if you thought, like, even like remotely that. Something like that, right? So, okay, Jesus is better than the angels, right? I'm, I'm okay with that. That's not a big stretch for me. So what does that do for us? Well, therefore, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Now there is so much there that I wanted to read that in a chunk and I want to go back and unpack it a little bit. All right? So you say, all right, God used to speak through angels or through prophets. Now he speaks through, through Jesus the manifestation of Jesus, and God, uh, you know, the Jewish people 
really thought the angels were a big deal and even, even some groups today think that Jesus was kind of like an angel and, and so, okay, God, is, uh, God has established the fact that Jesus is fully God. He was fully man and fully God in a way our brains don't fully understand, but we can accept that, we're, that Jesus is fully God and what does that have to do with me? Well, therefore, we got to take earnest heed lest we drift away. Because if what God spoke to the prophets, now you, me- you may remember, if you can take your brain, if you've been with us, and you can take your brain back to when we were reading through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, right? Those guys are warning the people. And did the people receive it, by and large, or ignore it, by and large? They ignored it, by and large. What does God say happened to them? They received the word spoken through the angel's Prove steadfast, right? The angels and the prophets, they gave, they gave this word. If that proves steadfast, then the transgressions and disobedience received their just reward. Those that ignored the message of God in the Old Testament through prophets, through angels, those that ignored the messages of God received their just reward. How much more so, you get this now? We have the message of Jesus Christ not to negate the Old Testament, but to fulfill the Old Testament, we have the message of Jesus Christ, which is better than the message uh, through the Old Testament prophets and the angels. We have Jesus Christ. If those guys that ignored them dealt with, dealt, had consequences dealt their way, how much more so shall we if we neglect so great a salvation? What kind of salvation do we have? So great a salvation. If we neglect so great a salvation, we will reap the consequences. Now, does this mean you lose your salvation and all that? I'm, I'm not even going to go there. And here, let me, just, let me just address that for a second. Theologians love to, love to get torn up over this. Well, can you lose your salvation? And is that what it's going to say? And we're going to get into Hebrews chapter 6 sooner or later. And if, you've, if you're one of those people, then you know Hebrews chapter 6 and, and blah, 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 right? I think of it like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, hey, what must I do to be saved? And let me give you a paraphrase. Let me talk man uh, to that, right? Hey, how much can I get away with and still squeak into heaven by a pass-fail test. That's what he was asking, right? And when we argue about whether or not you can lose your salvation, i got to think that we're having one of those discussions. And can I tell you this? Okay, I don't want to go to hell, but I also don't want to be a lame old Christian. Especially in the days we live. And am I burdened by that? Yes. Why? Because there are tons of them. I don't want to ask those kind of questions. Hey, how much can I squeak by and still get in with a pass-fail test? Give me a break. Right? So, if God dealt with the Old Testament neglectors, how much more will He deal with those that have heard the message of Jesus Christ and neglect so great a salvation. See, I'm not really worried. I, I, let me just say this. 
I don't lose sleep over those that reject so great a salvation. You, you know, you know who they are, right? You, you have these sort of theological debates with, it, with them, and, and where do they go? They go nowhere, right? Because it's a matter of the heart, right? I mean, you know, we need to be responsible. We need to understand apologetics. And to the person that's, that's open, we need to totally uh, be ready to give an answer to those who ask. But by and large, okay, you're in church. If you're watching online, you're watching online. You did this. You showed up here. You showed up online. You're listening to, to a Bible study. Not because you've rejected, not because, by and large, not because you're like, I'm trying to decide if I want to accept that or not. I want him to prove a point to me. That's not what you're doing. That's not why you're here. You're here because you believe it and you receive it. So I'm not really uptight about anybody in the sound of my voice rejecting it, but I am uptight about anybody in the sound of my voice neglecting it. And I don't want any of us to be that. And there are plenty of them. Plenty. How does it play out? Well, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard lest we drift away. And that word drift away always sticks in my head. See, the person that rejects says, no. Right? I got a great video I'll show you sometime. I always show everybody. I can get I, uh, my granddaughter, right? Oh, come up here and give Papa a huggy. No. <laughs> right? That's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about no. We're talking about drift. Right? Is drift a problem for the body of Christ? Right? You know, the cares of this world, maybe, the deceitfulness of riches, maybe the soil that lands on rocky soil, or the seed that lands on rocky soil, springs up real quick first. Everything's awesome. And then, you know, persecution because of the word. Stuff happens. Life happens. What do you find yourself? You just kind of drift. You don't reject just kind of drift. Is that a thing? That's a thing. You know, back in my, when I was a kid, before video games, you know, we had real entertainment, fishing, right? And my parents, I remember, had a, had a farm uh, in Owen County and uh, had a little farm pond on it and, you know, a little rowboat. And I spent a lot of hours uh, as a kid, um, hanging out on that rowboat on that pond, right? And you know, you're a kid. It's two o'clock on Saturday afternoon, right? If you go back, mom's gonna, if you go back home, mom's gonna ask you to work in the garden, right? Fish aren't biting. I think I'll take a nap, right? It's better than going back and pulling weeds, right? I mean, I was a smart kid. So, so, um, so you lay down in the boat and, you know, your, maybe your pole is out there with a worm on it, right, that's being completely ignored all afternoon. You know that you, it's a pretty safe bet if you just nod off for a half hour, that worm will still be neglected for another half hour, right? And you wake up a half hour, what happened to the boat? Where's it at? 
It's on the other side of the lake. Right? How did it get there? I didn't row it. It just kind of drifted passively. Right? That's how it works. And so what do you do? You wake up and you look around. And you do, you do an assessment. You wake up, you look around, you do an assessment. Dude, my bobber's all the way over there. And somehow I got from there to here. Can I ask us all to do, an, to do ourselves an honest favor this morning? Do an assessment. Like, wake up and say, where am I at? Right? Like, if, if God's will is over there, am I still over there? Or did I just wake up and find out that life happened and I'm over here? Only you know that. And I'm not doing it to lay a trip on us. I'm trying to do it because God wants the best for us. Because can I tell you something? Outside of the will of God is a creepy place. Is a creepy place. I deal with people all the time. I have conversations with people all the time that sometimes they wake up because they're drowning over here. And that's their wake-up call. It, it would be a cool thing if our wake-up call was, oh, I just read Hebrews chapter 2 and realized that God's will is over there and I'm over here and I drifted away. And I need, you know what? I need to do an inventory. I need to do a little bit of an inventory. And you know what? As I do that inventory, I need to give the more earnest heed. Grab the paddle and get back there. And honestly, again, if that's you, I, you know as well as I do, you probably don't need me to give you all the instructions about what to, what to throw overboard and what to pick up as a paddle. But you know, if God spoke through the Old Testament prophets and warned the people, and now God has gone to so much, I mean, to call it trouble is like such an understatement. To send Jesus, to, to, to manifest himself, God himself, to manifest as a human being and live a perfect life and to be rejected by his own people and suffer a brutal death on the cross. And for me to recognize that and to receive that and to respond to that with a life that says, oh, yeah, I'll Man, life's so busy. I got so many things that are, that are honestly better than following Jesus, right? The whole point of this book, Hebrews, Jesus is better. And we're going to go through theologically, right? Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the prophets. And we might be, you know, we'll read about Jesus is better than the high priest, Jesus is better than this. Jesus is better than the Old Testament law. Jesus is better than the temple. Jesus is better than all these things. And we're going to be tempted to do a little Gentile yawn, right? Because deep down, we don't really care about the temple or the high priest. That doesn't really translate to us. But my stuff that I like, now that translates to me, right? My own little distraction translates to me. And I got to be careful that I don't neglect so great 
of salvation. And if I wake up one day in the middle of the pond and I do an inventory and I realize that I've drifted, I need to do an assessment. And I need to give the more earnest heed to the things that I've heard, the things that I know. What are the things we know? Reading the Bible. Surrendering to the Lord. Asking Him to guide us. Asking Him to lead us. Being diligent to, to hang out with with good community of believers, right? He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be, will be destroyed, right? The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all sound judgment, right? All those things. We need healthy community. We need to be in the Word. We need to be prayerful. We need to be diligent. We need to give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard. Does that mean we're saved by works? No, don't go there. We're saved by grace. And part of grace means God gives us so much freedom that we have the capacity to drift if we don't give the more earnest heed. And you know, it's so great of a salvation that first began to be spoken by the Lord when He came. And then it's been confirmed by all those who heard Jesus. And then God bears witness in, these, in, this, in this New Testament time that we live. God bears witnesses with signs and wonders, which continue today, by the way. Right? God continues to bear witness. Various miracles. Gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. God continues to do all that stuff just to make Himself known to us. To get our attention. To help us do that inventory of our lives. So we got to be careful that we don't drift away. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you're mindful of him? So, so he's going to go back now. So he, again, Nate's told us on Wednesday nights, you know, sometimes in, in Western literature, you know, we read very linearly, linearly right? And, and this is Eastern literature, and so it kind of bounces a little bit, but we'll work through that. So chapter 1, Jesus is better than the prophets, better than the angels. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, therefore, and then for the rest of chapter 2, he's going to go back and kind of remind us, hey, even though Jesus became man, don't let that go into your brain that he's less than who he is. Don't, that's, that still doesn't make angels better than him. You know, some people could argue that, you know, that, you know, where are angels in relation to man? Well, that doesn't matter. The reality is, well, it doesn't matter for our discussion here. The reality is Jesus is better than man. Jesus is better than the angels. So he's going to go back and he's going to break this down a little bit more. So he says, uh, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. So man, in a sense, has made a little lower than the angels in a limited physical way. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. That's from Psalm 8. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So Jesus didn't come to earth so he could be less than an angel. He came to earth 
so that he could taste death for everyone because he wanted to be a human so that he could taste death for the humans. He could, he could identify with us as a human. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. Again, back to those verses we read about in Colossians. In bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I, in the children, here am I and the children whom God has given me. And so basically, uh, what are we saying here? He's saying that the fact that Jesus became human does not take away from his deity. God made the world subject to him, not to angels, right? Uh, Jesus was the one, uh, verse 10, for whom and by whom all things are made. And he became a human, if you will, captain, verse 10, of our salvation by bringing many sons to glory. It's almost like he's, he is fully God, he comes to earth so he can identify with us and bring us along, right? But that doesn't make him, that doesn't make him not God. It just makes him fully human so that he can kind of gather us up and uh, so he can taste death for everyone. Verse 14, he goes on and wraps up. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power of, the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I want to pause there for just a second, and then we'll wrap up. So the fact that Jesus came, became a man, still fully God, but also fully man, and he tastes death for everyone, he's able to conquer death. That through his death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Right? You know, as soon as we get old enough that we have an awareness, uh, apart from Christ now, we're human beings, we grow up, we have an awareness, we know that sooner or later something's going to happen to us. Right? We have this thing that's kind of annoying in our in our philosophical psyche if you will and that is short of the rapture of the church which sooner than it was yesterday short of the rapture of the church we have this annoying thing in our psyche called death right and it's pretty universal right and in our psyche, that's just very annoying, right? It's disturbing to us, right? Again, I don't want to, well, I'll just say it. What do we see during COVID? Widespread panic. Widespread panic, right? Now, I'm not taking anything away from the reality of, of that, right? But if I really 
really, really, like, if I really, really, really understood this, this Bible, and I owned it in my heart, right? And there's a virus floating around. And a lot of people, honestly, succumbed to the virus. I take nothing away from that, right? In my mind, if I really own this, what happens if I get the virus fatally? Where do I go? Heaven. And you say, well, that's easy. And if, I did, if, I'm thinking that, if I'm thinking through this, right, honestly, for, for me, my biggest concern is what? My family, right? But let me just take that one step further. If I really, really own this, who's going to take care of my family? God will. God will. So let's read that again. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Jesus became flesh and blood. That through his death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those, that's us, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Do we need to freak out about the reality of death? Do we need to freak out about the reality of death? No. Should it be a concern and do we need to have our ducks in a row and have our household in order and uh, all that sort of thing? Absolutely. Is it a good idea to try to not die as best as we can? Am I advocating? Well, I won't go there. Is it a good idea for us to try to be healthy and try to survive the virus and to, and to try to uh, do all of those things and be responsible and as much as depends on me, take good care of my family? Is it, it, should I do that? Absolutely. But if God has a plan that supersedes that, should I be flipped out about any plan of God that supersedes my own? Never. Never. Now, if I've drifted away, then I get a little antsy, right? I get a little, not quite flipped out, but I might get a little antsy, right? So I need to take the more earnest heat lest I drift away. And I don't want to neglect so great a salvation. For indeed, verse 16. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Who did Jesus die for? He died for humans. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. He became a human. That he might be a faithful, a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. What was the high priest to the Jewish mindset? The high priest was the one that represented God to the people and the people to God, right? The mediator, right? Timothy tells us, I believe it's Timothy, tells us there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Jesus Christ. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brother, and that he might be a faithful, a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, to make a substitution for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Right? Is Jesus good? He's very good. Does he take good care of us? He takes good care of us. Has he conquered death for us? Yes. Will he take care of our family if, if we go to heaven? Yes, right? 
So Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets, better than the Old Testament angels, and better than anything that we think might be better than him. Now you say, I'm in church. I think the right answer is to say there's nothing better than him. Right? Well, how about our lives reflect that? Is that fair? How about our lives match? If we say that, how about our lives match up with our words? If, how, about, how about I live my life, and I'm talking to me, myself as much as anybody, how about I live my life as if nothing matters more than Jesus Christ? Now, that may look different in different, different ones of us. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. But I've got to live my life. I'm going to one day answer to God, what did you do with those few decades of existence that we call Scott Murphy? Well, I had a lot of fun. I made a name for myself. I accomplished X, Y, Z. Do you want to say that? I don't. I don't. Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets. He's better than the angels. And even though he's God, he came to earth to come down to my level and meet me right where I'm at to overcome death and provide salvation for each and every one of us. And in light of all of that, I don't want to neglect so great a salvation. So if that's heavy, I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, but the reality is, I believe that's what the Lord's laid on my heart for this morning. And I believe that we live in days where there's no room to, honestly, I don't, I don't see in my days, in my life, in this culture, in this social climate, I don't see any wiggle room for goofing off. It's almost like I am on that rowboat on a Saturday afternoon in July, and it's a windy day. That's the world we live in, right? I'm on that rowboat, and there are storm clouds coming. That's the reality. That's not me being a prophet. That's just, that's just me being awake. Not woke, awake. And it's a windy, it's a windy world that we're living in. And so we've got to take the more earnest heed lest we drift away. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us that you would come from heaven to be one of us. And not only to come from heaven, Lord, such an infinite downgrade, to become a human being, to face temptation and to overcome temptation. And not only to face temptation and to overcome temptation, but to suffer a death for us. And not only just a death, but the most agonizing of deaths. And not only the most agonizing of death, but the rejection of your people, which no doubt was in many ways just as painful. And Lord, you did that all because of your great love for each and every one of us. So Lord, help us to be people that don't neglect so great of a salvation that you have made available to us. 
Help us to be people that give the more earnest heed, lest we drift away. Have your way with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.